been an interesting weekend because we're talking about some tough stuff, but just stick with me, okay? We're going to walk through it together. Um, I don't know about you, but there's something about watching somebody just fall flat on their face that makes me laugh, okay? I know you're all too holy to laugh at somebody else's stumble, but the, you know, when, when, when we see somebody just kind of tank it, there's something inside of us that makes us laugh, and the reason is because it's funny and we're evil, okay? And you put those two things together, let's test it. Let's find out. I want you to watch a little video here. We're going to just show you a little piece. I want you to pay attention to the guy behind there who decides, I'm going to hurry up this horse by clapping on his tail. Boo! Ouch! That had to hurt, right? Now, all the holy people are just like, that's deeply unfortunate. Whatever. That's funny, okay? If you're so stupid that you'll go and try and hurry a horse by clapping on its tail, if someone clapped on your tail, you'd probably kick him in the head too, all right? Now, I'm sure the guy would like to be able to just hit a rewind button, kind of back that thing up and rethink his approach to that whole thing. Let's watch it again. Let's rewind. Take it back because we're sick and twisted. There we go. Back it up. I'm sure at this moment he's thinking, I'm good to go. Now, listen. Slow motion. Here we go. Woo. Boom. Right before it happens, I bet he just wishes I would like to hit a rewind button and just rework the angle that I'm approaching this horse, okay? To make you feel better, I want you to know something. No horses were harmed in the filming of that video, okay? I cannot speak for the guy who was trying to hurry the horse along, all right? Here's my point as we watch that. Wouldn't it be nice if life had a huge rewind button? I mean, if you could just hit the button and kind of back up, knowing you were just going the wrong direction, you made a bad choice, everything was just going wrong, where you could just hit the rewind button, kind of take a few steps backwards, and then rethink your approach to a certain approach or a certain decision. This weekend, we're, what we're going to try and do is, biblically, we're going to reverse engineer a stumble of epic proportions, okay? I'm going to read to you in a few moments, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Here's what I need you to know about this. The guy who wrote this particular passage was known for his epic failure. He was known for a huge stumble, okay? Peter was an apostle of Jesus. He followed Jesus for this three and a half years that Jesus did ministry here on earth. And in the moment when Jesus was being prepared for crucifixion, falsely accused, and they were getting ready to kill him, Peter gets identified as one of the followers of Jesus. Somebody sees him kind of sneaking around through the shadows, and they're like, hey, we know you. You're one of the guys. You used to hang around with Jesus. And Peter has an epic stumble. His response is not, yeah, I know Jesus. It's like, I don't have a clue who you're talking about. I don't know that guy. Nothing to do with him. Crucify him if you want to. He stumbles epically. In fact, he's known in Scripture as that guy. Well, many, many years later, we get to meet a very, very different Peter. He's kind. He's gentle. He's probably still got the same big mouth. He's just talking on behalf of God in a completely different way. And he actually talks about a way that, that, that we can deal with some of the most critical stumbles of our lives. Okay, so if you've got a Bible or an app, you can open either one or you can grab your outline. Let me read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Remember who wrote it. Here it comes. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. 
But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which was also what they were destined for. Okay, one of my favorite preachers of all time was a guy by the name of Dr. E.V. Hill. Dr. E.V. Hill, just awesome. And guy could just light you up. And I took a Bible study class one time and he would say this. Young man, if the passage don't make sense going forward, back into it. That's what we're going to do this weekend, okay? This is a pretty deep theological discourse here written by Peter. And what we're going to do is this. In order to understand it, we're going to reverse engineer an epic stumble. We're actually going to start at the end and work our way backwards. We're going to go from verse 8 backwards to verse number 4. Because it starts like this. Peter says they stumble because they disobey the message. Okay, when I'm talking about a stumble, I'm not referring to accidents or mistakes. Okay, I'm not talking about those things that you can kind of blame shift onto somebody else or, or move it into the category of misinterpretation. No, when I say stumble, I'm referring to those moments when you know in the depth of your soul you're going the wrong direction, but you go anyway. Okay, I'm not talking about those oops moments or a that's unfortunate moment. I'm talking about a moment when you know you are going in a direction contrary to everything God stands for, but you decide to go there anyway. You decide to take a flying header off of a moral cliff, even though you know what's waiting for you at the bottom. You know that you're running into a wall of disobedience going 75 miles an hour, but you just decide, I'm not taking my foot off this gas pedal. You're saying to yourself, I know I'm going off the path. I know I'm walking out into the weeds, but I'm going to go anyway because I just feel like it. Okay? Unapologetically this weekend, I'm going to talk about sin. I know you guys can handle this, all right? We're going to talk about sin, plain and simple. I'm going to talk about the two kinds that we most often commit. The first is sins of commission. Then we're going to talk about sins of omission. Okay, sins of commission are when we participate in our own stumble. These are things we actually do. We commit ourselves to a course of action, even though we know it's wrong, and then we just follow it through and then grumble about the consequences. Sins of commission are when you participate in your own stumble. You think the evil thought. You speak the gossip and share it with people. You speak the lie and not the truth. You cheat on the form. You click on the link knowing exactly where it's taking you. You you lash out in anger even though you know you're not supposed to. You're in an argument with your spouse. You can see that they've got a button and you make a decision. I'm going to push that person's button on purpose because I can. It's a sin of commission. You know you're doing it and you do it and then you got to live with it. Okay? Sins of omission are a little bit different. Sins of omission are those sins that happen when we know we should get involved, but we decide that we're not going to. Instead, we just sidestep something. These are things that we leave out. We omit them. That's where we're getting the word from, okay? We see a situation that we know we should intervene in, but we don't because it's none of our business. We don't get involved. We don't defend somebody because we just don't have the time and don't want to be bothered. We turn a blind eye. We refuse to speak up. We know what God's asked, and yet we just make a decision to be disobedient. And Scripture says 
this to those of us who commit a lot of sins of omission. It's not the things that we are doing, it's the things that we're not. The Bible says, he who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. It's not a misjudgment, it's not an oops, it's a sin. Let me say that again. He who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. So we had a great example of this last weekend. In the midst of the snow, I'm here preaching biblical stewardship. I'm actually talking about your checkbook and your wallet and all that kind of stuff. And people have all their mis, you know, misperceptions about how the church actually feels about that whole thing. And at the end of it, we all had to make a decision. The reality is this. A lot of us just decided, I'm just going to omit those verses. I don't care what God has to say. I choose different. I'm going to omit God's command and do my own thing. This is going to offend you deeply, but I'm going to tell you, that's a sin. It's a sin of omission. Let me get really, really personal. In fact, this is where it's gotten really, really tense in here over the last couple of services. There's something happening in our state right now that's actually undermining a biblical definition of something that God created. And the reality is this. Most of us that follow Jesus are going to do nothing in response to it. Tomorrow, there are public hearings beginning that are going to try and redefine something God created. It's the institution of marriage. Just so you know, Christ the King Community Church, our definition of marriage is not born out of personal opinion. It's born out of what this book says. And this book simply says, whether you agree with it or don't, that the definition of marriage is simple. It's one man and one woman for a lifetime. That's what this book says. And so we don't apologize for that, okay? We don't apologize for that, but here's the deal. Some of us are being confronted by that, and we're just like, ah, I'm not going to do anything. It's not worth it. Actually, what you're going to do is you're going to email me and tell me that I'm supposed to do something instead of taking any responsibility. So my question is, if you know the good you ought to do and God tells you to do something, if you don't do it, it's sin, so you probably should do it. Here's an option. In a very kind, gentle way, call your representative and tell them what you think. Be respectful, be loving, base it on Scripture, not on your personal opinion, and let God be God in that moment. To choose not to, that's a sin of omission. Whether it happens by omission or commission, you got to say it. You have to acknowledge the stumble. That's what Scripture says. You got to say it. I stumbled because I was disobedient. I knew what I should have done, but I chose not to do it. I rejected God's prompting. I just decided to go and do my own thing. Now, the first stumble we have to acknowledge in all of our lives comes with being a sinner. I remember the day I had to say it. God's perfect. I'm not. I'm a great sinner, which means I need a great Savior. Here's the beautiful part, okay? God knows that acknowledging sin is not something we do naturally. We just tend to carry on, kind of shift it into different categories. We do our own thing, and then we have that moment where we're tripped up by our own need for a Savior. This is the beautiful thing that I love about Jesus. The Bible says He's a rock of offense that will trip you up in your own ideology. Not only will He trip you up, He will also catch you. He'll catch you when you fall. The Bible continues with a description of Jesus. Let's back up half a step, half a verse. Peter says this, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. The original word used here for Jesus is scandalon, where we get our word scandal from. Some translations call Jesus a rock of offense here. 
Now let's face it, a lot of people like to put Jesus in the category of an enlightened Jewish teacher who was just very nice and kind. He had beautiful feathered hair, he wore a nice bathrobe, he was a really genuinely nice human being, a little off in some of his ideas, but that's how we like to categorize Jesus. They put Jesus in the category of profound human teacher, but it offends their sensibilities when Jesus starts making bolder claims. Like, do we understand this? Jesus said he was God. He said he was the Son of God and God the Son. Jesus said that we all have a sin problem, and the only way to deal with that sin problem was to go through him as a perfect sacrifice. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody gets to my dad, the Father, unless you go through me first. I'm the only gate, the only way, the good shepherd. You can't do it any other way. Jesus claimed that sin had to be dealt with, and he was the only one who could pay the debt of our sin because we couldn't pay it for ourselves. Jesus claimed there was a hell, and people could choose to go there. I mean, those claims were scandalous back then. They're still scandalous today. Those claims offend people's sensibilities because they like Jesus. I've never met a person who didn't like Jesus. But then they start hearing what Jesus said, and it's like, ah, he's so intolerant. He's so narrow. You know, he's only got two roads, broad road and narrow road. I like the middle road. He left that out, you know? He, he's just so, he, he's just so, I like him. I just don't like his teaching. I don't like it that Jesus would say there's a right and there's a wrong. I mean, I like the Bible vibe. I love that whole love your neighbors yourself. That's really, really cool. But the rest of that stuff, it's just so offensive. It's so narrow. It's so specific. It's so convicting. You know, at some point, you have to acknowledge the stumbling power of Jesus. Here's the classic question. Was Jesus a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord of heaven? Was he a dead, marginalized Jewish rabbi, or is he a living, coming king who will continue to love you so much that he will trip you in your own ideology so that you will embrace his gracious, saving plan for your life? I mean, let's back up another half of a verse. The Bible continues and says this, but to those who don't believe... The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Okay, 2,000 years ago, Jesus made these claims, and he was rejected by people. And the rejection continues. The people who created this nice religious framework 2,000 years ago, they rejected Jesus. They said, that guy's nuts. People today who worship the scientific empirical method, they'll look at the same thing and say, God didn't create everything. There was another way that got that done. And they will reject who Jesus said that he was. And we're faced with the same question when it comes to Jesus. Accept him or reject him. Now, if we accept him, this scripture says that we are to make him the cornerstone of all that we are and all that we have. Now, that's a tough concept for people because here's the reality. We don't have a lot of stone buildings around here anymore, right? We use concrete, wood, different things. He's talking about building a stone building. I think there's only five or six actual stone buildings left in Bellingham. But if you go and find one, I want to challenge you to do something. Walk around the perimeter of the foundation and you will find something. You will find one stone that was put down first and everything else was built around it. It's the cornerstone. The cornerstone determined everything about the foundation of the building. 
It was laid down first because it was the most strategic stone in the building. Everything rested on the cornerstone, the direction, the strength, and the purpose. Everything rested on that because the cornerstone was crucial and essential. Without the cornerstone firmly established, I'll tell you, I'll promise you something about that building. Eventually, it would just fall down. It'd just fall down. 2005, I got a chance to go back to the Ukraine. I back actually to my, the country where my family came from. And I got to preach in this beautiful, gorgeous stone cathedral. It was one of the most beautiful buildings I've ever been in. No heat. And it was colder than it was outside today. And everybody just packed in together. They sang beautiful songs. No instruments, no. They just sang. And it would ring off of the stone structure. It was absolutely beautiful. Before we went up to preach, we were down in the basement praying. And I could actually see in one corner of the basement was this exposed rock. that was, It was taller than I was. It was wider than I was. It was huge. I knew it was the cornerstone because somebody at some point actually took a chisel and in the Ukrainian language, chiseled the name of Jesus into the side of the rock. My young translator, he was about 20 years old. I said, tell me about that rock. He goes, that rock has been here as long as we can remember. He says that this building has been burnt to the ground multiple times because it was a church, but that rock has not moved. Because this church has been bombed to the ground and that rock didn't move. That rock has seen the starvation of the people who went here. He says this whole church has been rebuilt multiple times and it's always been rebuilt on that cornerstone because nobody's got an excavator big enough to be able to move that rock. That rock is everything that we are. Everything revolves around. I talked to the oldest guy in the church. He said, I have seen the entire neighborhood here be completely gone three times. And the only thing that stayed through all that was that rock, that corner stone, that stumbling block, that rock in the corner of that church had been a stumbling block to war and destruction and governments. It outlasted it all because that's the foundation that that entire church was built on. If you accept the claims of Christ, Jesus must be the chief cornerstone of your life. Which means this, everything that you are rests on him. All decisions and direction are based off of your cornerstone. Jesus has to be the most strategic foundational piece of your life. Everything rests on him. Your decisions, your direction, and your purpose. Now I'm going to tell you something. The world is going to call you to reject Jesus as your cornerstone. People have no problem with Jesus being just another brick in your wall. No problem. You want to have Jesus? That's very spiritual of you. Good. Awesome. Just leave him on Sunday for an hour. Don't let him trickle into my life or into my cubicle. You keep your thoughts and ideologies to yourself. I have no problem with Jesus being another brick in your wall. I just don't want him to affect my wall. People just think it's just offensive to base everything on him. Okay, we're going to get in a time capsule and go backwards. Back in the 1980s when I had a mullet, which I had to read, I had to repent for in a deep way, okay? As a crazy part of this subversive life that I had going on when I was kind of doing my own thing, I I had a band that I loved to listen to called Pink Floyd, okay? Any fans? Yeah, a few of you have the rest of your line. Okay, so anyway, um, I'm too holy to have listened. Yeah, whatever, okay. Some of you are like, what's a Pink Floyd? Just Google it, okay? It'll show up, all right? 
But if you remember Pink Floyd, you probably remember these words. Some of you are going to pretend you don't know these lyrics. The brave ones are going to sing with me, okay? We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. (laughs) No dark sarcasm in the classroom. Teacher, leave those kids alone. Hey, teacher, leave those kids alone. Remember that? Yeah. Now, do you remember the next line? People are like, is he singing Floyd in church? Yes, I am. Okay. Because of the next line, all in all, it's just another brick in the wall. Anybody know the next line? All in all, you're just another brick in the wall. Can I tell you something based on this book? Jesus will not be just another brick in your wall. It's cornerstone or nothing. Many of us try to put another cornerstone in our life. We try to build our life on wealth or sex or status or power or stuff. And we're surprised and shocked when our world comes tumbling down around us. The reason it crumbles is because fake cornerstones don't last. They erode. They rot. They're not eternal. Maybe you're like me. Some of you at one point in your life, you established Jesus as the cornerstone of your life and then you walked away from him. When that happens, you've got one choice. You've got to walk away from that epic stumble and you have to reestablish the cornerstone. That's the next blank in your outline. Choose today to put Jesus back in his rightful place. Acknowledge the stumble. Acknowledge Jesus for who he is and reestablish the cornerstone. Let's back up another half step. The Bible says this, for in Scripture it says, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, God chooses Jesus. He names Jesus as the chosen and precious cornerstone, and he makes this promise. If you put your trust in him, you'll never be put to shame. Do you notice what it doesn't say? It doesn't say you won't be called a fool. In fact, I guarantee you something. If you place your faith in an itinerant Jewish rabbi that lived 2,000 plus years ago, some people are going to think you're nuts. As crazy as a guy trying to speed a horse along. That's what they're going to think. People are going to call you a fool. But every time they do, I want to encourage you to do something. Whenever you are named as a fool because you follow God, think about this. I would rather be called a fool in the eyes of a man than a fool in the eyes of God. Just choosing. See, to step beyond the ideas of man, you have to see the stone as God views it and not how you view it. See, the world sees the stone as foolish. God sees the stone as precious. The world sees the stone as marginal. God sees the stone as absolutely trustworthy. The world sees the stone as another brick. God sees the stone as the chosen cornerstone. The world sees the stone as dead, gone, and irrelevant. God sees the stone as living, active, and more relevant for your life today than he has ever, ever been. In fact, the Bible sees the stone as living. Don't believe me? Let's move back another half of a verse. Scripture says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, 
You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the best news I've got for you if you are a follower of Jesus today. The stumbling stone of Jesus is not dead or defeated. The rock is alive. He conquered death once and for all. The stone lives. The stone loves. The stone continues to call people who've stumbled and fallen all over themselves. And he calls them to a decision. Here's the final blank in your outline. You have to come to the living stone so that you can take your rightful place as a priest in God's kingdom and not just a failure of epic proportions. You see, when you know the living stone is Savior, King, and Lord, you are no longer defined or defeated by your epic stumbles. It's not about what you did. It's about who you are. It's not about how you stumbled and fell. It's about where your feet are planted now. It's not about the things that you tried and experimented with that didn't work well for you. Now it's about the fact that you've placed yourself on the cornerstone and said everything rests on the cornerstone of Jesus. You're defined and destined to fulfill your role as a member of God's family. Some of you look at that and go, a priest in God's kingdom? Whoa, 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 whoa. Simply means you're going to fulfill your purpose as a member of God's family. You know, here's the reality. Life doesn't have a rewind button. But it does have a pause button. When I was about 18 years old, doing my own thing, God pushed a pause button in my life and said, just hold on. And when everything stopped for me, here's what I had. I had a gargantuan list of stumbles behind me. And no hope and no future in front of me. I felt like I had been kicked in the teeth by life and had no direction to turn. And then I learned that God loved me so much that he was willing to roll a rock of offense, a scandal on directly into my path so I would be tripped up by my own ideology. And when I was falling, he caught me. And he wants to do the same thing for you. He doesn't want you to be put to shame at the end of eternity. He wants to be able to look at you and said, that guy tripped over me. She tripped over me. And I caught her and all of their stumbles were washed away. They're not defined by their failures and their stumbles. They're defined by the fact that they're standing on top of a cornerstone, a rock that will not move. I'd love to give you an opportunity to choose Jesus today. I've been talking about Jesus for a couple of months, and I think it's time for some people to decide. Accept or reject, in or out, on the rock or not. We don't apologize for what this says. And one of the things that it says is if we confess our sins, our stumbles, that he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what God wants for all of us today. So let's take a moment and pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed. And maybe today is the day when you just finally acknowledge that Jesus is who he said he was. 
He did what he said he would do. And the reason he did it was to save you. So if today is a day of decision for you and you want to establish Jesus as your cornerstone, I'm just going to invite you to pray a simple prayer along with me in your heart. A prayer that says, Jesus, I've stumbled and fallen and I, I need help. I built my life on a bunch of cornerstones that have just crumbled and fallen away and I've sinned, and I need a Savior. God, would you forgive me for all of my stumbles? Forgive me for my sins of commission and omission, the things I meant to do and the things I just decided not to. Lord, would you wash me as white as the snow from last week? Lord, would you give me forgiveness for the past and hope for the future? I know I don't deserve it, but I'm grateful that you're offering it to me. God, I deserve to, to hit the ground because of my stumbles. Thank you for catching me. Lord, would you put my feet firmly on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, the precious living cornerstone? For the rest of my life, would you give me the wisdom to to know that everything rests on him, that all of my direction, my purpose, my hope, my dreams, it all rests on him, and I will spend my life standing on the rock and pointing other people towards him. Jesus, I choose today to establish you as my cornerstone. And I thank you for forgiving me, setting me free, and giving me the promise of an eternity, standing on a rock that will not move. Amen.